This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. I actually tried to uh, volunteer and join the CFA. It was a while ago now, and I, I presented myself to the local um, brigade, told them that, you know, I'd spent time in the military, and it sounded really, really good. So this is the process, and you, we go through this, and you meet the captain, but... After I left the military, I, I you know, had a few issues and, and fell foul of the law, and I have a criminal record. And he said, oh, sorry, we won't accept you. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Something that I did years ago should have no effect on my willingness to join. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, and I'm based in Melbourne. And I'm Eden Hennon, and I'm based in Bendigo in central Victoria. And Eden, that call that we got on the program just a few days ago from Greg, who you'll hear from in just a moment, has inspired today's program, looking at whether or not a criminal record holds you back and if there should be changes to how long you have that criminal record associated with your name. When we've done programs similar to this in the past, we've often heard from people that have maybe spent time in prison to say they feel like they pay for their crime twice when they go to prison and then they pay again when society punishes you. And I guess you don't really know until you're one of those people. It it must be such a burden that you carry on your shoulders throughout your life after, like you said, you spent time in prison, then going out of prison and trying to apply simply just for a job. So should criminal records be removed from your record after a shorter period of time? Obviously, Rochelle, depending on the nature of the crime, but does a small mis- small mistake cost you, you know, 10 years of your life? There was a change to what's known as a spent conviction. So this means, you know, when that record is removed from your file. So the Spent Convictions Act was actually passed in Victorian Parliament just last year. And the changes to it were that sentencing those that have had a sentence of 30 months or less will be eligible to have that record spent or removed after a 10-year crime free period and that's for adults five years for young people 10 years is still a i don't know to me eden it feels like a fairly large period of time well you think about i'm i'm 30 now rochelle i can't imagine me making the same decisions that i did when i was 20 years old so 10 years and it sounds like it's been reduced since uh before last year so it's very surprising to me but maybe to others it's it's not long enough it is too long And I wonder what the chance of getting a job would be if you have a record and the long-term impacts of that with many, perhaps if they are struggling, no wonder the reoffending rate could go back up if, if people can't get a job. So does having a criminal record hold you back from for fully participating in society? Do you feel like you wear that crime forever? And depending on the crime, should it be wiped from your record earlier? let me ask you this. Would you hire someone if they had a criminal record? Rochelle Hunt in Melbourne, Eden Henninen in Bendigo with you. And Eden, it was actually Greg uh, who inspired this conversation. So Greg, you're from Lemnos. Welcome back to the Conversation Hour. This is something that all stemmed from when you tried to join the local CFA and then you thought it was all going great and that you were able to join that local brigade. And then at the last minute, due to your past, that wasn't an opportunity for you. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me, Michelle and Eden. And yeah, that's 100% correct. Um, I you know, thought 
you know, back in 2010, yeah, this is something that I feel I can do. I feel I can be a, a valuable member. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I, I had done time in the military, so part of that is um, we all do what they call battlefield first aid, so you, you, you become used to um, seeing traumatic events and so on and so forth, and I just thought, well, that's something that I can deal with. Um, all the other sort of truck license and whatever, and I thought I'd, I'd be great for the for the position. Um, but yeah, as soon as I said, oh yes, well I do have a, um, a criminal history, it was basically just tapped on the head, and that was it, done. And Greg, Greg, I imagine. So you said this crime was committed in your twenties. You're now fifty three years old. Since finishing uh, over that period, when you've applied for jobs, has it always been in the back of your mind that oh god, they're going to do a criminal record check and this will come up? Is it something that you expect? Um, look, a, a lot of employers don't ask anymore. Um, there was a time when it, it happened a lot, and I can I can actually cite one example. Um, again, this is going back to about 2010. Um, I I won't name the company, obviously. Thank you. Um, but I have an interest in, in motorcycles and have had since I was 18 years old. And um, a job came up. Uh, selling accessories, so leather jackets and, and helmets and whatnot. And I applied and I got the job. Um, and they stole part of the processes that we, we do a criminal check. And I said, yeah, okay, no problem. I, whatever you want to do. Um, it's been you know, a long time ago now. Um, and I was there for probably about a good five or six weeks. And it took that amount of time for them to get the results back. And um, they turned around when they got the results back, even though I'd done exceptionally well, they said, I'm sorry, we, um, we, we can't keep you anymore because you have this record. Um, so despite being a very, very good employee, um, I was gone. And that wasn't open for discussion? No. Um, it, that's, that's company policy. Sorry, we're sorry to see you go. Um, the manager at the time, he was actually very, very good. He um, did help. He felt really, really bad. He actually did help find me another position. Again, um, different company doing a similar sort of thing, but... Um, it was it was devastating for me. It was just like, for the love of God, this is ages ago. What's why is this happening to me now? Of, of you know. And Greg, uh, for the crime that was committed, what do you think would be a fair amount of time for it to be on your record? Look, I once once you've got a criminal record, it's there. Um, depending on who's looking, it, it'll never ever go away. Now, yes, there are things that they've recently changed called the spent convictions. Um, and that depends on the nature of the crime and, and what it was and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, look, I, I think in reality for certain things, if you've kept your nose clean, like everyone can make an error. Now, I made a very severe error, obviously, and you know, I, I actually did time in prison for it. Um, but since then, I've tried to do the best I can and... I mean, the, the place I work now, I've, I've got a great job. Um, they never asked. Um, Do they really, know? No. No, I haven't said anything. Um, my, my whole thing is don't ask, don't tell. Um, there are people in my life who do know, and, and once I've told them after I've got to know them, they're sort of shocked. So, but you don't, seem, you don't look like, or you don't seem like, or you don't sound like. 
And I said, well, that's the whole thing. And, and if I never told you, you would never have known. Do you um, feel lucky that you've been given a job? We're going to dive into this. And there's lots of people that spend their lives looking at what rehabilitation looks looks like and how important is it finding work to be able to put yourself back into society and, and lead a meaningful life. If you didn't have this job, how much of an impact would that have on your life in the sense that people feel like they're paying for their crime twice? Look, I, I suppose it would have a major impact. And, and one of the things, two things that, that always struck me when I was incarcerated, um, I saw people who would you know, get in trouble for a minor thing and they would you know, end up inside. And there was one particular fellow I got along quite well with and I saw him leave and come back and leave and come back and leave. And he couldn't adapt and he ended up committing suicide. Um, because he just realised there was no way he was ever going to be meaningful. And we like to have this conversation about rehabilitation and, and so on and so forth, but I remember distinctly the day, the final day that I was in, I was nervous, I didn't think they were going to let me out, but I remember the guy turned around and said, well, don't forget to come back and make sure you bring a friend. And that, wow. that was the final thing that I heard walking outside the walls. Um, and that has, has just stuck with me forever. Um, and I thought, I'm, I'm much better than this. There's, there's not a chance in hell. I'm going to come hell or high water. I will never, ever go back into that situation. Um, there's a perception out there that life inside is easy. Meals are provided and whatever. And it's, yeah, meals are provided. And, you know, you've got a place to sleep. But the guy over there has just had a heap of drugs given to him. And then all of a sudden thinks you're someone... That, you know, has got no problem with stabbing you with a sharpened toothbrush tomorrow. Um, so it's not as easy as people think. And um, from from your experience, Greg, obviously quite traumatic, but the reality is I think in Victoria more than 40, nearly 50% of people do go back to prison. Do you think it is because of the challenges they face outside of prison sometimes? Uh, oh, look, 100%. Uh, absolutely 100%. And, I mean, it's it's almost the discrimination that there is actually... You know, you cannot discriminate against someone for having a criminal record. Obviously, there's exceptions. You're not going to, you know, have someone who's got a criminal record going to the police force or work in a bank or what have you. And, and I understand that. Um, but it's the discrimination that, you know, no one talks about. And good luck trying to prove that someone discriminated you, against you in a job interview because of that reason. Um, and, and I do believe that, yes, there are habitual criminals. I understand that. But I also believe that there is the potential to create an underclass of people that, like, okay, I've made a mistake. I want to get out. I want to better myself. I've done courses while I was inside. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to move on with my life and become better. But every door I knock on is closed to me because of this one thing. I still have to feed myself. I still have to do this. I still have to do that. How am I going to do it? And so there's... It's probably quite yeah. easy to slide back into that lifestyle. Absolutely. I shouldn't say lifestyle, but into that um, way of life. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. We'll speak to those that are looking into that and trying to change it. Greg, we really thank you for your honesty and for sparking today's conversation. No worries, and thank you for shining a light on it. Good on you, mate.
Taxier Eden saying, no, I wouldn't employ someone with a criminal record. We all know what is right and wrong. As an employer, uh, I am not sure insurance would cover you in all such cases. That's from Jill. And another saying, my brother received stolen goods at 17 and was put into juvenile detention for a few weeks. That was in the UK, but he's now a magistrate in Queensland. I also employ a woman with a criminal record for drink driving and she's great. She definitely should have this record wiped. And there's another one along that path of your previous text. Um, Sadly, victims of crime are often scarred for life. End of story. I have no sympathy. That's Sue from Mornington. That's a pretty hard line for you to take. But another text here says everything depends on the crime. What was the nature of the crime? And I know, Rochelle, we've got something in common. We both come from parents that were police officers for quite some time. And I did speak to my dad quite in depth about this topic that we're going to chat about today. And his take on it was seems to be the last text. It, it all depends on the severity and mm. was the intention bad? Did Motivation. Just, yeah, is it of a, a violent or sexual nature? Um, so I think there's a lot of things that are involved in this topic. Absolutely, and the changes to the spent convictions, and, and it should be said right up front that it doesn't include, you know, violent crimes and sexually violent crimes as well. That's not a part of that. They are ones that will stay with you and rightly so forever. Craig's called from Sydenham. Hi, Craig. Uh, hello. G'day. What did you want to say? Uh, I'd just like to say how uh, I was actually acquitted of a major crime uh, nearly 20 years ago. And uh, if I'm pulled up by the police, it's automatically brought up, even though I was acquitted of it. I... I believe it should be just not on there. So is that is that law that even if you're acquitted of a violent crime, that it does still stay on your record? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I heard I can pay $400 and get it removed, but I don't see why I should have to do that. And aside from that, Craig, what about with those around you? Did it kind of bring a stigma along with the crime? I haven't got a friend in the world. Oh, sorry, I've got one friend from when I was seven years old who knows me extremely well and knows I'm not violent, right? And um, he, he, he's filled in for the 100 friends I've lost. And what about getting work, Craig? I wouldn't need with, with, with the name. You know, it, 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 it front page paper on the Herald Sun. Um, it was related to the gangland um, crimes as the person I accidentally killed. Oh, just be careful with the amount of information that, that you give out here, yeah, Craig. Sorry but about that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, right, so it was front page, so everybody knew, and that's something that, I mean, that's vastly yeah. different again, isn't it, if, if people yeah. know who you are? Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of everyone knowing who I am. I, I had to move out of my suburb into another suburb. Um, I lost my house during that process that I was paying off. It's you know, it's pretty bad. You lose a lot, even even if you are innocent. Craig, thanks so much for your call. Gosh, that's taking it from one extreme to the other, Eden. I think that's shocked us all then, actually, hearing did, yeah. from, from Craig. But looking at crimes that are front page, you know, that, that people know exactly who you are and what you've done through to maybe something that you've done in your 20s that and you, you, you feel bad about and that was a stupid mistake or you hung with the wrong crowd. I think that was referring that call from Craig then was referring to those severe crimes that we're talking about. Whether he said he was acquitted, but maybe that stigma does go across your entire life with with those type of crimes, Rochelle. Ruth's in Lancefield. Hi, Ruth. Yeah, hi, Rochelle. Um, I actually feel quite strongly about this 
um, this discussion. I worked for 14 years in adult community corrections. So we had people who came out of prison on what used to be the pre-release programs and community and, and parole and attendance centre programs and community corrections orders. Um, the, the concern I have is that we talk about rehabilitation, but we, as a community, we generally fail to allow people to demonstrate that they have been rehabilitated or that they have rehabilitated themselves. The system isn't particularly good at providing opportunities for rehabilitation, but seriously, if people can't get work, then they really, you know, they don't have halfway decent opportunity to get on with their life and there are some amazing employers out there who are prepared to employ ex-offenders um, but you know when you <laughs> the, the inability to, to do some good as a volunteer in the community say for the CFA I, I think that's really sad um, when somebody clearly has moved on with their life um, it was a one-off offence. Um, they've taken ownership for what they've done and and we don't allow them to move on and we don't allow them to hold their head up high again um, by providing employment. And I think that's really sad. And Ruth, you said you, worked, you used to work in corrections. What was the yes. process when people would come out of prison? You said they're not often given a chance to rehabilitate. Is there any process that you knew of to help these people kind of get back on their feet? Well, certainly for people on parole, um, and, you know, that, that sparks debate amongst people in the community who believe that an offender should stay in prison for the whole of their sentence. The purpose of parole is to help people, is to provide accountability once they're back in the community as opposed to if they do their whole sentence, they come out and nobody except the police, I get, I presume, are keeping an eye on them. They have to report. They have to account for what they're doing. They have to do unpaid community work. They have to get um, drug and al alcohol testing if that's applicable to their offending, or they have to see a, um, a psychologist or psychiatrist if that's been part of the nature of their offending. It's about monitoring people for a period of time mm. so that their risk of reoffending is able to be assessed and the parole board gets reports about them. So, yeah, I mean, the building of a relationship with a community corrections officer in the right circumstances can be the thing that makes all the difference yeah. to some people coming out of prison for sure. It really comes down to that individual help. We're really glad that you called through. Thank you so much. There's a text here from Gary. It says, a traffic police pulled me over recently and knew that I went to court for shoplifting a magazine 20 years ago. Oh. I got a diversion at the time, so there was no conviction or record. But then another that says, this conversation always reminds me of when I joined the public service in the early 2000s and during the induction training courses, a bright, keen young man just suddenly disappeared from the course when his police records came through. Through, not disclosed by him during the lengthy application process. I felt really sorry for him. I still do. And I hope that he found someone willing to take him on. That's from Annie. It must be 
as I was saying a bit earlier, the the weight on your shoulders whenever you go out and do anything, apply yes. for things, meet a partner, maybe um, you know, groups of friends. Is it always hanging over your head when when you think that they might find out about it or eventually when you apply for a job, if it does come up? I, I can't imagine how that feels. Robert Tickner is the chair of the Justice Reform Initiative, also a former Keating government minister. Robert, the Justice Reform Initiative looks at a lot of what we've been discussing today. You know, what quantifies rehabilitation? How long should someone have to pay for their crime? How important is employment when we're talking about rehabilitation? I'm not sure we can answer any of those questions within this hour. But listening to some of those calls today, how much does a conviction and a record, a criminal record, holds somebody back from being able to get work? Well, it's an enormous uh, impediment. Um, thank you very much for the question. Look, the Justice Reform Initiative is a cross-party organisation with backing from people from all different political parties right across Australia. The website Gailing is failing, if people want to Google that, deals with a lot of these issues. We're very honoured to have Sir William Dean and Dame Quentin Bryce as our patrons in chief. And our central focus is getting Australia to adopt evidence based criminal justice policy. And nothing could be more important in the question you've asked me than driving for that solution. Um, the fact is that um, the levels of unemployment that people have going into prison. Uh, around about 50%. Robert, I mean, I guess we're hearing from so many different people now about how life-changing it can be to have employment. Should they have to disclose, do you think? I mean, is this something that is holding people back and it holds people back for so many things in terms of actually rehabilitating or potentially even reoffending? Well, there is, of course, um, clear provisions in the Victorian legislation passed in 2020 uh, giving uh, considerable rights to people around disclosure of criminal record, but also giving very substantial exceptions. And I really think that if people want to check their own situation, they could either consult uh, a private lawyer or a community legal service or talk to the Human Rights Commission nationally or the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. However, the problem really is this stigma that still exists for people who've got a criminal record. And it's so unfair, I think, for people who've done their time, um, whose circumstances have very often radically changed, um, to be hit with this almost brick wall of being able to get employment, when all the evidence is that getting a job, building those community connections getting an income to take yourself out of poverty, to have housing, is just fundamental to turning people's lives around. I can just assure you that we're really behind the rest of the world in this regard, because even when President Trump was in power in the United States of America, in 2019, there was a major national cross-party initiative launched in um, the United States called the Second Chance Initiative. And that was a partnership between government, uh, the business sector and not-for-profits um, to launch a nationally funded initiative to get employers to give mm. people coming out of prison that second chance. And I'm That's very right. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, we've got a text coming that kind of is in line with what you're saying here. 
Someone, uh, Mohammed in Altona said, surely a drink driving conviction that happened 20 years ago shouldn't affect how someone does woodwork or if someone charged for assault in self-defence years ago doesn't affect one's ability to do something like admin admin work, let them work. So you think in, in Australia people don't have that opportunity yet? Well, there is a clear right of people um, not to be discriminated against on the ground of some irrelevant criminal record. But there's simply not time today to talk about the complexity of the law. And I do stress that there is a much wider issue here, even uh, looming large, much larger as a blockage to a lot of people coming out of prison, getting employment. And essentially what we need is an investment in resources for those non-government organisations and others who are working to support people coming out of prison. And there is some great work being done in Victoria by VACRO, um, by, it's called AXO, the other organisation, JIRA, an Aboriginal organisation, flat out. They're doing terrific work, um, as is a special centre set up by the Victorian uh, government, this Judy Lazarus Transition Centre. And they've got a 71% uh, rate of securing employment for wow. people. It's brilliant work. And but Robert, you, you remind places. Yeah, you reminded me of a, a story I did last year. It was called, uh, I was it Sweet Justice, and it was in the Malmesbury Youth Justice Centre with these young men that come in. We got to go in and interview a few of them, and they were offered roles in beekeeping once they left. Uh, the centre and the re, uh, re-offending rates plummeted. They had a similar program in the United States that did the same thing and they saw some really positive results come out of that. Sure. And people need to remember that the cost of keeping someone in prison is around about $100,000 plus per person per year. And that's people, of course, who aren't paying taxes and who uh, aren't very often um, getting the level of support they need in prison and coming out of prison to address the underlying issues that those people have had that got them in trouble in the first place. And the evidence is absolutely indisputable that the high level of uh, intergenerational unemployment of people going into prison means you really do need to intensively work with people uh, when they're coming out. They also need the opportunity to address, you know, security of housing because try getting a job if you you don't don't have have a house. 100%. If you don't have someone to have a shower and get yourself ready and and look respectable. And I think the idea of the business sector being given those initiatives, like it's not always up to the private sector to be the ones to step up and to come up with these solutions. But if they are given really good financial incentives to think twice about who they hire and to hire someone with a criminal record, you would think that that would go a long way in this conversation. As we said, Robert, we can barely uh, scrape the surface of this but the work that you and you know the huge um resources that you have at the justice reform initiative is incredible so we thank you for your time and your work thank you and if people could look at our website just google jailing is failing there's so much we can do together and in victoria we want our politicians to work across the party lines work for evidence-based policy that's going to help us all Yep, you do a lot of work. It's jailing is failing. It's an incredible site. I, with Robert, I highly recommend that you jump on and, and take a look. Interesting that Robert said there about what's going on in the US 
about programs to give those people a second chance. We've got a text here. It says, hi, I started a business and my husband, uh, with my husband who has a criminal record. His criminal record does affect his employment. I met him after he was incarcerated. I didn't know him when he committed the crimes. He has not re-offended since we met in 2005. We are married with four kids and he can't volunteer at their community sports functions. Can't do the sausage sizzle at school, but I tell you what he can do. He's allowed to hand out and volunteer his time at election time for political parties. Thanks, Sally. Whoa, I just had a bit of a physical reaction Me to too. that. That's, wow. Okay, and another one here saying, I work for the government every five years. I have to declare a shoplifting uh, co-fiction from 40 years ago. It's humiliating and it's degrading. That's from Anonymous. Years. Helen's in Ballarat. Helen, welcome. What did you want to say? Oh, I got thrown off it. Well, I was asked to get off a train by a conductor and on the back of my ticket it said I could take animals on a train if I caged them properly. And I had a cat in the cage and the conductor uh, told me to get off or he'd call the police. Mm-hmm. He called the police. Six months later, I was, uh, police came around and said, you're due to go in court. You are charged with assaulting police and resisting arrest. I went to court and um, the uh, magistrate said... You're on a six-month good behaviour bond under your own undertaking. In other words, I didn't have to pay any money and I'm recording no conviction because once I told him this story, it was obvious that trying to help a cat shouldn't be a criminal offence. However, when I tried to get a a police record check to do a a placement at university, out comes this, I'm a criminal because I tried to help a cat. Wow, we've heard all different oh, different examples today, haven't we? Helen, thank you. Aidan, a text is saying, saying, I'm boiling with rage as an ex-prisoner. How about stopping people from entering prison? It's a traumatic experience. We should only imprison uh, those when we absolutely need to. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. My name's Rochelle Hunt. I'm in Melbourne. Eden Hennenen with you as well in Bendigo. And we're talking about whether or not a criminal record holds you back from fully participating in society. And if you would hire someone if they had a criminal record, obviously depending on the nature of the crime is the basis of sort of what we're talking about today. Michael Raiden is from Melbourne. And Michael, you have been a semi-regular contributor to the Conversation Hour over the last couple of years. You, we know that you're about to release a book about your experience of being in prison. How hard was it for you to get work once you were were released? Yeah, look, thanks for having me on. Um, the book's not just about prison. It, it's about the lead up to prison and the perspective of my family and going through a young man with mental illness as well as addiction and crime and all that. But look, in, in terms of uh, finding a job, it, it is a daunting experience. On the one hand, I want to be honest and open with my employer or potential employer. Um, but and on the other hand, I feel deceitful if I'm not. But what my experience has taught me is that more often than not, when I'm open about my past, I wouldn't get the job. And one specific case, I'd actually been, uh, I, I'd been, I'd been given the job because I didn't say anything. I'd been promoted after about a month of working because the, the employer decided that, uh, you know, I was worthy of, an, of a promotion. And uh, so I, I thought that was a perfect time to, to tell him about my past and be open. And the next day, my position was terminated. So what this way of thinking does is obviously, as, as previous people have said, it forces those who have been to prison to hide and or feel like they, sh- they need to hide and they need to hide their past, even though we've appointed a judge as a society to, to lay down a, a judgment and, and, and pass a sentence and we complete the sentence. And so 
what what look i totally agree that there are some heinous crimes and, and certain crimes that should have more security measures in place once released and all that but as a blanket rule for everyone doesn't really work and it's it's never worked so i think there should be a time frame uh set that sees a criminal record dissolved so long as the individual has shown true rehabilitation meaning that they haven't returned to crime or anything like that but the stance of oh well they the, you know they knew better and they shouldn't be forgiven is is literally perpetuating the cycle of recidivism because crimes don't just happen there are circumstances and sometimes years and years of trauma and abuse that precede these crimes that this should not be dismissed so there needs to be support mm. to try and equalize the punitive measures that we're seeing as a society towards people who've been to prison and so, Michael, what would you suggest with the time frame, say, for something that is a, a lighter crime? Do you think a, a record should be wiped after, you know, a year, two years? What, what would you suggest? I, I would honestly say absolute maximum would be something like four years because, uh, you know, and that's even quite a long time. But what I've noticed is time's gone quite quickly for me. I, I was released uh, ooh, October of 2019, I think, and time's actually flown and, and uh so you know some years have passed since then and i'm only just now uh growing more confidence in in the workforce and with my employers and my employers are absolutely wonderful now and they know they i had the conversation with them and and they just accepted me for me and they were absolutely brilliant but the a decade or something like that is far too long because that's that's like, okay, what do I need to do for the next 10 years before I can go for the job that I want without being knocked back because of a, of a, of a crime? And, and here's an example. Right now, I'm trying to launch a program where I speak to children in school where, where probably around the age of, I shouldn't say children, young, young adults, probably around the age of year 11, year 12, uh, basically about my experiences and about what the true realities are of it of having a mental illness growing up as a teenager and allowing that to evolve into an addiction and then allowing that to further stream into crime and having these real talks with these young people to try and help prevent mm. them going down a similar path that I did and I can't get a working with children's card and my, my oh, the irony, is it, yeah. I wonder, you and know, this is so, sort of what it comes down to is just looking at those individual circumstances and, you know, whether or not that's physically possible to be able to do that. But, you know, for you, Michael, to go and tell your story, when we talk about trying to stop people getting into prison in the first place, you know, you volunteering your time and doing that would be a huge step forward in helping uh, people not end up in prison to begin with. Michael, as always, we really thank you for your time and for your honesty. Let us know when the book's about to come out, won't you? Yeah, we will do, absolutely. Good on you. Gosh, there's a text here saying that my son can't get home insurance because he has a criminal record. But then also Jane saying, well, you wouldn't want an arsonist joining the CFA. And you know, I guess that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, and Mike in Gippsland's on the line. Uh, he's a volunteer and says, Mike, are you saying it's a privilege to join the emergency services? Should someone with a record be allowed to, to volunteer? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah, just in response to the... the um the whole conversation with how this started. It's a it's a privilege, not a right, to be a volunteer in the emergency services. And also, yes, there are police checks for obvious reasons. Um, if, um, if there are a criminal records, for example, um, just having come back from the Sydney floods, would you really want someone who's got a criminal record for theft or something similar to that 
involved in going helping people at a very stressful time in their life, clear, clearing and helping them in their house when you've got that um, over your head. And um, I, I can't help but think that um, there's plenty of other volunteering that individuals can do. And in, in this case, maybe that individual that raised this conversation might want to think of volunteering at a diversion course where he can actually reflect and tell people about um, what happens if you do offend, how it can affect you um, for the rest of your life. Um, interesting. We, we need to take the rose-coloured glasses off and think you do the crime, you do the time. It's not just for four years or ten years. So you if I can I just push back a little bit there, Mike, if this is something that was 20 years ago and we know that community service and contributing to the community often is actually the punishment for a lot of people's crime, depending on the crime, obviously, do you not think that then volunteering your time to help the community within an organisation like the emergency services is not a way to pay back for a mistake that you've made? There's mistakes and there's mistakes. We've got to own our, own our um, um, work. How about um, volunteering? There's countless other areas that you can help in the community for volunteering. You can, the, even the local bookshops, um, uh, the, um, the op shops are screaming for volunteers. There's a lot of volunteering out there other than the emergency services. And as I said earlier, the, the emergency services screen um, 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 volunteers and depending on what that is there's plenty of people that have that have got history um, that are in the emergency services um, that, that can volunteer but once again um, people need to understand mm. that um, people are vulnerable in these times of the emergency services um, and trust is the um, is, is vital. Thanks for your, your thoughts Mike. Mike in Gippsland there. Let's head to Jason now in Swan Hill. Jason Oh, from what Mike was just talking about, you had issues uh, joining the CFA, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I'm a multiple criminal conviction with burglary and theft convictions. And I can hear what everyone's saying on the, on the radio here. And you know, the, the community doesn't want people like us to engage and help and support the community with volunteer organisations. And I'm now married with two kids and my criminal convictions were 10 years ago. And when people don't want my help, that's fine. I'll isolate myself and not help the community because once you're in that group of having criminal convictions if you've got four if you've got six if you've got eight or ten criminal convictions doesn't matter as soon as you've got one you're in the club of not being welcome to volunteer in those organizations and just makes you feel well if i've got four convictions why not get six you know what's the real repercussion Mm -hmm. we're nothing because the community doesn't want me already with the previous call could you see his point in in people being a little nervous perhaps playing devil's advocate here that they, they might be worried about someone with a, a conviction helping them out? No, because if people want help, they need to ask for help. And if somebody wants to spend their time helping their community, that should be engaged and embraced. And people need to believe that other people can change. And people that don't want to believe that other people can change, then that's fine. Your house may suffer in an event of an emergency. And if you want help with the floods, then don't come knocking on my door. I wish I'd help you. We heard earlier from uh, a dad that was trying to volunteer at the local sausage sizzle. You just said you've got two kids. I'm not sure of the age of your children, yep. but what about volunteering at the school? I'm not allowed. No, I've got primary school kids and no, I'm not allowed to go there and help. And How do your kids feel about that? Well, when I was a kid, my dad was on school council and you know, I actually wanted to do it, but now I can't because the community doesn't want my help and support. And I'm a, a senior manager with my employment and help my team in my job quite a lot. And I'm quite proud of that but if my local school doesn't want my help then all right go to buggery jason it sounds like um you you've become quite a little bit angry about the way things have, have turned out afterwards with the way that people react to this it, is that accurate 
Absolutely, I'm angry because once once you've got one, you can't get rid of it. I did a lot of reading a couple of years ago um, around a, a spent conviction, but that, that, that's not appropriate in Victoria, not appropriate now because it's not the current laws. And I remember about seven years ago where um, Australian Defence Force said, uh, your application is denied due to your criminal convictions. And I thought, right, the Australian Defence Force doesn't want my help because I want to join. I want to join the Army. And they said, no, thanks, uh, you're not trusted to, to be part of the ADF. I'm like, okay. The country doesn't want you, the local community doesn't want you. It just makes you feel, well, I might as well just keep doing what I was doing. I, back I was going to say, day. do you think that this is part of the reason why people get stuck into a loop of crime and they end up reoffending and you see generational uh, people doing crimes and, and, and committing crimes and going to prison and you see that generation of, over generation? Absolutely, because as I said, there's nothing stopping me from going out and doing the things I used to do. What's what's going to happen to me? I've already got a criminal conviction and I had a suspended sentence back in the day and that means nothing because I just didn't get caught again. Gosh, we wish you all the best, Jason. We, we really do because it sounds like you want to get out there and you want to help your community. But, you know, you do have two, you know, young children and that gives you a lot to look forward to. So thanks thanks for your call. Eden Julian Ballarat says, perhaps we should be taught this in schools, do something stupid and uh, as, a, as a young person and that crime will always be with you. Well, Michael's trying to do that. <laughs> you know, he's trying to teach that in schools and he's not allowed to. Yeah, and I must say, I've done not crimes, but I've done a lot of silly things in my teenage years and early 20s, I would say. But uh, I think that I, that would be pretty common. If you, yeah, some nights, you know, you might not be able to get to sleep and you think back, you know, about some of the stupid things <coughs> you did in your 20s and how lucky you are maybe to be alive, you know, like I definitely admit, I got in a car with a drink driver, you know, and I've also done that, yeah. And if that had have ended things. badly. What would what would of have course. happened? Where would you have been? So I don't know if that's something that you would necessarily think about when you're, you're taught in school. We, we go through our, our own experiences as teenagers and in our early twenties. So I, it does. I reckon the message does come through though. When someone, if you met a young person like Michael and he says, "Look, I got out of prison in two thousand and eight," versus the local copper, you know, your dad or my dad going into a school and talking is very different from a young person going in and saying. Don't make the stupid mistakes that I made because here's what's happened. I reckon that's when it cuts through and it hits differently. And so surely there's got to be some kind of individual recognition to be able to lift those checks and balances so that people can go in and try and they're trying to make up for their mistakes. That's mm. how I feel anyhow. And they're not given often a chance to, to redeem themselves and, and teach things to younger people. Joe Grafham is an emeritus professor with Deakin University. Joe, you've been listening to a lot of this conversation and you've done a heap of research looking into prisoners and those released from prison and work. Is it the main thing that stops people from rehabilitating and finding their position back in society, just simply not being allowed to contribute in any way? That is the probably overriding issue. Uh, if you start with employment... Uh, almost two-thirds of the people who reoffend and end up back in prison were unemployed when they reoffended. Uh, the, they, they, they are pre prevented, as we've heard from several people, they're, they're prevented from engaging in community generally. Uh, but as far as livelihood is concerned, they're prevented from, from earning a living if the employer does a simple criminal records check, which many of them do. 
and uh, and and it can be a lifelong sentence. The, the, the there's a there's there's a, a flip side to this coin, which is that uh, the, those people that you, that you were referring to before, who have lived experience in the criminal justice system, are better than anybody else uh, in talking to young people about what not to do. Uh, and, and there are many of them who are more than willing. There are many of people who have turned their lives around and they are more than willing to get back into community and and educate. What about, um, Joe, programs inside prisons? I think you've had a look at things like baking and butchering and things. Has that helped in your experience from what you've seen, helped people once they leave? It, it, uh the answer to that is it depends, and it depends on the employer. Uh, it, it, will, it will help dramatically if somebody has picked up a skill, and in particular, a, let's say, a certifiable or certified skill, uh, that, 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 is, that is really beneficial. However, it still depends on finding an employer who is willing to take a chance on somebody with a criminal record. And, and they they are still not thick on the ground. We were speaking earlier with Robert Tickner about what role businesses can play and the business sector can play and whether or not initiatives for the business sector to hire people with criminal convictions and with criminal records. Do you think that would help? Uh, Well, that's another arena within which people who have lived the experience of prison can help educate. Uh, getting 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 those people uh, in front of a group of employers to rotary clubs to uh, chambers of commerce etc getting them in front of groups of employers and letting them and letting them just demonstrate their uh, th- the fact that they've turned their lives around uh, it I think that that could be very helpful in changing attitude it it uh, it, it, it has to be there at grassroots level I think Thanks for your time today, Joe. Um, you brought up some interesting points there. Rochelle, I think I mentioned this a little earlier, but there's a program that I did a story on in the Malmesbury Youth Justice Centre called Sweet Justice, teaching young men how to get into beekeeping. And this woman, Claire Moore, she's been able to hire a few kids out of these centres and she said they're doing tremendously um, and haven't been reoffending once they've gone out of prison. So it shows at the grassroots level what employment can do for these young people. Absolutely. A texty from Danny saying, I don't understand these volunteer organisations. People who have fallen down but through hard work and penance have gotten up. It's a valuable and important message. Kevin's call from the CBD. G'day, Kevin. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. We don't have long, Good. but what did you want to say? I just want to say, you know, on the criminal records, um, they should have some kind of like, um, you know, red or green or yellow light uh, system whereby you can see uh, if the crime is, you know, uh, quite serious or not. And over time, you know, this um, system will reduce the amount of severity. So that business and, yeah, and businesses and, um, um, you know, volunteer organisation can determine the risk. Mm. That's, That's an interesting point, uh, Kevin. So the, the less severe yeah. the crime, um, the lighter the colour, perhaps, and people are, are more yeah. aware of uh, whether it is a really serious crime or not. That's correct, yes, yeah. Would you hire so, someone, Kevin, with a criminal record if you were 
I don't know what you do for a living, but, you know, let's say you're in a position to be able to employ people. What would you do? Yes. Uh, obviously, you know, if I hire someone, I would give them a, you know, uh, probation period, like three to six months, if they have a criminal record. So, uh, in a sense, it gives them the opportunity and it gives the employer less risk to hire them. Uh, perhaps that's an incentive um, for them to so hire again, Yeah, to Penn. Thank you so much. Let's really quickly try and squeeze in Mark in Belgrave, who's been holding for so long. Mark, welcome. Yeah, hi. Look, I thought the whole idea of prison <clears throat> was to pay for your crime. Um, you pay for your crime. If you've done the time, you paid for your crime. It shouldn't be hanging over for the rest of your life. And currently, considering Victoria has mainly private prisons, a young friend of mine has done time, and he tells me there's virtually no rehabilitation goes on in prison. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no interest in the private prison system to rehabilitate people. They just want to warehouse people for a ridiculous sum of money. Well, that's it. We heard it's around $100,000 per person per year to keep someone in prison. And I guess, Mark, it's great that you called and that you held as well because we started today's program by saying that many people that do spend time in prison feel like they pay for that crime twice, that they go to prison, that's their punishment, and then they come out and society punishes them again. And again, depending on the crime, Eden, but I've, I've you know, thank you to everyone that rang through and how honest they were and some of the stories that they shared. To not be, I think the thing that's going to stick with me is that you've done your time. It's been 10 years, 15 years. You've got a family. You've shown society that you have paid for your crime. To not be able to volunteer and cook sausages at the local school fete, that's what's going to stick with me, I think. Me too, those personal stories. And you can hear when speaking to a lot of these people that have spent time, they're, they're still suffering now, I think, from from all the things that they've endured over the years It. um yeah, it's it's pretty devastating for those particularly that have spent 10 years in prison and have been out for 20 years and are still affected. Yeah. We've done multiple programs to sort of touch on this. So if this is a program that has piqued your interest today and you can obviously listen back, you can share it, you can go to the Conversation Hours podcast, go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcast. But we've done multiple programs on, you know, what is rehabilitation? Should we be raising the age as well? So lots of different programs on this. This has been the Conversation Hour. Thanks so much for listening and we look forward to spending time with you soon.